Open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1, please. As we said last week, we will be going into a series on the book of Galatians. Plan on going through the whole book, not this afternoon, but we will be going through it. My hope is that you will go through it, not just on Sunday, but you will take a personal devotion to it. You will go home and you will study the book of Galatians. You will read it and reread it and reread it and maybe use your study Bible if you have the ESV study Bible I encourage you to use that or John MacArthur's study Bible I encourage you to use that if you have another study Bible I encourage you to use that but if not at least read this once a week go through it because it is a timeless message the whole Bible all 66 books are timeless but an introduction you would think I would read the first couple of verses and I would do an introduction but I will read the first 10 verses, and then I will read a couple of different verses from each chapter, and then I will give an introduction into this book, starting in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That there is another one, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Would you go to chapter 2, verses 4 and 5? Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so, they have, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for one moment, that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law, or just hearing with faith? Chapter 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I will read verse 7 also. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, 
than an heir through God. Chapter 5, verse 1. For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verses 7 to 12, and then we'll end. You are running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from God, who calls you. A little poison leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Word of God as always, Lord God. And we thank you that the Word of God is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago, Father God. That the human heart has not changed one bit. That a leopard cannot change its spot unless they're born again. So we thank you, Father God. We ask you to breathe life into this introduction, Father God. That we can see the foe that Paul was fighting, Father God. That we don't fight flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and authorities and heavenly places, Father God. And we are to stand strong as Paul stood strong and did not submit to them for one moment for the sole purpose that the truth would be preserved for other people for ages to come, Father God. We thank you for Paul's bold stance in this book, Father God. We pray over the months that these six chapters, Father God, come alive to our spirit, that they're in our minds and they're in our hearts, Father God, and it brings that which is supposed to bring liberty from the flesh, liberty from the power of sin, and liberty from legalism, Father God, so that we can live, as Paul says, for it is freedom that Christ died to set us free. Breathe upon today's message in Christ's name. Amen. Excuse me. I want to thank Steve for his work on the persecuted church. I don't think I have to say another word about it. We're blessed people. Let's count our blessings and let's help. Let's pray and pray globally. Let's reach out globally with our finances and whatever we can do globally. But in the interim, let's plant locally so that the gospel could serve its neighborhood. Amen. Paul, Galatians, is a defense of the gospel of the freedom of the Christian life. Well, let's make no mistake about it. Paul is preaching freedom. Paul is going toe-to-toe. He's at his apostolic best in these six chapters. He is taking no prisoners. He is rolling up his sleeves. He's not looking to make friends with anybody. He's not concerned about the opinions of men. He's not concerned about the opinions of religious leaders. He's not concerned one bit what people think about him. He's concerned for the freedom, the spiritual freedom that the Galatians have in Jesus Christ. And he's willing to defend it 
even with his own life, even with his own reputation. This is what's going on in this book. It is more than just a legal document. It is Paul defending the very suffering of Christ. The very shedding of his blood. He's protecting every promise of the Old Testament that's saying that a Savior was going to come to Israel and that the whole world would be blessed with the seed of Abraham. This is what Paul is doing. This is not, well, let's all love one another and it really makes no difference what someone else is saying. It's just the living. No. This is about eternal life. This is about heaven or hell. This is about being pleasing to God or not pleasing to God. What this document has to say is, is every human being is concerned about it, whether they know it or not. Freedom from religious rules, religious regulations, free from the law of Moses, free from everything that Moses could not free the Jews from, Jesus Christ came and freed us from. He's freed us from the human effort of trying to please God. Have you ever, ever lived under the religiosity of trying to please God? If you have, you know how awful it is. Because when you're doing well, you think you're great. But when you're failing, you feel like self-condemned, guilty, and shameful. And you wish you could hide from God as far as you could. That God could never possibly accept us. Like I said, Paul was at his apostolic best over here. He's beaten down every foe, everything that opposes the gospel of God's good news in Jesus Christ with his forgiveness and accompanying power of the Holy Spirit that the gospel of Christ, that salvation is full and free, paid for by Jesus Christ that sins are forgiven once and for all, that when a man accepts Christ, God cannot love you anymore. Please let me know. Please let me tell you here right now. If you are a Christian, if you are a water-baptized Christian, if you have confessed the Lord Jesus Christ to others, if you have accepted Him into your heart, if you have repented that you are a sinner and you need Jesus Christ, please understand this. God cannot love you any more than He already does. There is nothing you can possibly do to please God anymore. Jesus Christ has pleased God on your behalf. And He has done it perfectly. You would think, Brian, I'm a Christian, I know that. But do you know it? We'll find out as we go. Because a lot of the world doesn't like that message. And there's a reason as we go along, I'll teach on it. The background, if you go home and read Acts chapter 13 and 14, it'll tell you exactly what was going on historically at this time. It's a good read. Please go home and read it tonight. But Paul preached in about A.D. 47 in a place in about southern Turkey. It was called Galatia. It's, it's basically southwestern Turkey, modern-day Turkey today. And he went on a preaching tour. It was probably about a 75 or 100 mile, square mile range. And he preached there. And four churches were established under his ministry. 
four churches where there were some Jewish synagogues, but mostly Gentile converts came to Jesus Christ. And Paul preached this message of salvation, full and free through Jesus Christ. And, and men came and they were filled with the Spirit of God. And they started off a relationship with God, with an Abba Father cry. They loved God. There was this sincere, childlike faith and love for God. I didn't know where they turned from darkness. They turned from serving no gods at all. Gods made with hands of stone and clay and wood to turn and serve the living God. And they were loving God. And all of a sudden, something happened. They stopped loving God with a simplicity and devotion to Christ. Someone snuck in. Someone distorted Paul's point of view and said, Paul is not right. And we'll speak about this as we get into chapter 1, verses 1 to 10 next week. But they said that Paul's a liar. You can't trust Paul. He's not a true Jew. He's not a true Christian. He's preaching a strange message. He's, he's teaching against the temple. He's teaching against Judaism. He's teaching against circumcision. He's, he's teaching all false teaching. Don't believe him. No matter what joy you feel, no matter how happy you are that God accepts you, forget it. You need to be circumcised now. You need to follow certain rules. You need, before you can be a Christian, you need to be Jewish. You have to have a pre-pre-conversion. Accept the Jewish faith, and then you are allowed to accept the Jewish Messiah. That was basically what was going on over here. I need to explain the tension that's found in this book. And it's not just found in this book, it's found in basically a lot of New Testament texts, specifically the 13 epistles of the Apostle Paul. And it's something called the Judaizers. If we don't understand this word Judaizers, we're going to miss a lot of Paul's teaching. You won't understand Galatians at all. And it's something called legalism. If you don't understand legalism, you won't understand the book of Galatians, you won't understand a lot of the New Testament. And please understand something, that both these concepts have everything to do with you right now where you are. And you might not even know it. So please keep your ears open that this 2,000 year old text has everything to do with your personal joy in God today. Because without knowing it, you could be your own worst enemy. You could put a pressure on your faith you don't even know about. You can be living under a yoke of slavery. And Paul says, who put you under a yoke of slavery? If we're not careful, we can do it ourselves. We can fall into a performance methodology with God. And wondering why we're not enjoying God. So please understand that what we're reading is very relevant to you and I today. Let me explain the Judaizers. These were so-called Jewish converts in Jerusalem. What they would do is they would go everywhere Paul preached, this freedom in Christ. After Paul left, they would sneak in. As he says in chapter 2, they, they sneak in. They wait, they watch the clock, they hear. Paul's gone, they beat him up again and they stoned him to death. And, and as Brother Steve was reading today, this is where he got stoned. That one time he was stoned was in this area. They stoned him. They thought he was dead. And then Paul would go somewhere else. And then these Judaizers would sneak in. They were half Christian, half Jewish. I don't know if that can work. The truth of the matter is, we really don't know if they were truly saved or not. 
If you listen to Paul's language very closely, you would question their salvation. Let me tell you right now. Paul was not happy with these Judaizers that would come in and say, well, Paul is basically lying and you can't trust him. Uh, They would say, yeah, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, but all this freedom that Paul's talking about, of just believing, you can forget about that. He is the Jewish Messiah, and he's here for you, but before you put faith in him, you have to come and be circumcised. You have to come and follow certain dietary laws, and certain festivals, and certain calendars, and new moons, and sacrifices, with faith in Christ. And then you will be saved. It was a works righteousness salvation. This Paul would have nothing of. This couldn't be further from the truth of what Paul says. Paul cursed this when he says, let them be cursed. He says, anathema, a curse, be separated from God forever. If I was to come back and preach to you a different gospel, stone me to death, anathema. If an angel from heaven was to come and preach to you any other gospel than I preach to you of free salvation in Jesus Christ, the message which you believed, the message that put a cry of Abba Father in your heart, a message that put a song in your heart, a message that put joy in your mind, if anybody preaches another message, let him be cut off forever. That's how serious the tone is. Make no mistake about it, this is a scathing rebuke by the Apostle Paul as he defends the truth of Jesus Christ. The ramifications are huge and wide. Legalism is a concept of certain requirements needed somehow to be met in order to be pleasing to God or in order to be saved or in order to remain saved legalism is the concept Judaizers were the proponents of the concept I don't want you to miss that legalism is a concept of how to get saved, how to remain saved, and how to remain hopefully in God's favor. Those who teach that are called Judaizers. We will speak a lot about that as we go through especially the first two chapters over the weeks ahead. But understand something about this legalism. Doesn't it sound horrible? (laughs) You sure? But don't you know it's a natural state of the human heart? Legalism is, you want to sort of feel good about your religious life. You know, yeah. I go to church, I read my Bible. I'm consistent. I'm doing what I'm told. There's something nice about feeling like you're pleasing God. That you're a little better than the other guy. Look to the left and right. You're a little better than the other guy. There's a legalistic tendency in human nature. We want to feel like, yeah, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. If you're a Christian any length of time, most likely you don't identify with that anymore. But when you come out of 
uh, orthodoxy, when you come out of just cold religion or philosophy, there's this hidden desire that we're pleasing to God. Even though our sins are many, there's some, well, you know, somehow or another I'm going to make it in. That's legalism. But the counterpart of legalism is something else. It's called libertarianism. That's another word you need to know. And that concept is this. Jesus loves me so much, I can do whatever I want. I can live it up. Eat and drink for he died for me. I can smoke, I can drink, I can whore around, I can cuss, I cannot change my life. Church makes no difference. Reading the Bible makes no difference. Fellowship makes no difference. Que sera, sera, sera. Jesus died for all my sins and I can do whatever I want and I can apologize at the end of the day and I'm forgiven. These are the two extremes that Paul was dealing with. These are the two extremes that are going on today. Uh, unfortunately, they might even be going on in this church. It's in the human heart. There's something about the human heart that does want to bend the rules a little bit. And let me explain something to everyone who knows they're a born-again Christian. There's not a born-again Christian in this room or ever walked the face of the earth that did not abuse grace. Please understand that. There's not a Christian that didn't step out knowing they were going to sin and knowing that God would forgive them. From myself all the way down. There's not a Christian that ever walked this earth in the last 2,000 years. But understand something. That same Christian, sooner or later, came face to face with that and probably wept over their sin. So please understand something. It's part of the human heart. Legalism and libertarianism is part of, unfortunately, the sin nature. Legalism likes to control others and think they're better than others. It produces self-righteousness. Libertarianism produces recklessness, godlessness. It produces basically nothing at all, no Christian at all. Uh, as James says, it's faith without works. Paul says it in Colossians, they worship me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me, and so on. Que Sarah, Sarah. Okay, like I said, the ramifications are huge. They're not just damaging, they're damning. If, you don't, if you're on one side or the other, you could actually not be saved. Underlying all this, here is where it really hits the rubber, hits the road. Please understand this. It has more to do with whether you're doing too much, you're trying too hard, or you're not doing enough. What's at stake here is not the Galatians. What's at stake here is not you and me. What's at stake here is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and His shed blood on the cross. That is what's at stake. Not how great you are or how not great you are, and how good you look or how not good you look, how happy you are, how unhappy you are, how holy people think you are, religious people. It has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. Is the, the all-efficient, sufficient Savior of sinners, or is He not? Does He share the glory with Moses, or does He not? Does he share the glory with me and you and all good works, or does he not? If you read the book of Hebrews, you understand that Christ is greater than angels. 
He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Aaron. He's greater than Melchizedek. He's greater than Caleb. He's greater than Joshua. He says in himself, Christ says, I'm greater than the Sabbath. I'm greater than Solomon. Someone greater than everybody has come. He's called the Son of God. And he's not inefficient. He is totally efficacious in everything he does. He has not failed in one thing he has ever done. It is perfect. Every thought, every word, every action, every ounce of blood, everything he did at the cross and the resurrection is enough to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf. Period. That is the message Paul preached and it drove the Gentiles mad with joy. They were mad with joy. And we'll speak about a verse of scripture that touches that later on. But please understand something. The ramifications are huge. Is Jesus Christ good enough? Was he able to save sinners on his own merits? Or did it need the supplementation of the law of Moses and circumcision. Also at stake is not just the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, was the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. This Abba Father cry, this receiving of the Spirit, this, this fundamental reorientation of thinking and, and, and affections that happened to you when you were born again, is, is, is it not good enough? Is it not good enough to fall in love with Jesus? Do we need rules and regulations? Or do, do I need rules and regulations to love my wife? Or is it just loving my wife? Isn't that good enough to make me a husband? Or do I need 20 or 30 things that says this is what I must do? Now my to-do list is down to about 3 or 4 things like that. The reason is I can't do more than that. But I think we understand what's going on over here. The Judaizers were saying it's not enough just to believe in Christ. You got to be circumcised. You got to become Jewish. The Holy Spirit. Don't, don't, don't get a, don't get caught up in this Holy Spirit stuff. Don't get, get being led by the Spirit. Don't get, get get caught up with that. There's no leading of the Holy Spirit. There's ten commandments you follow in. That's what's at stake here. It's not so much me and you. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are the concerns that Paul is painfully obsessed with. And this is what has given such a rise to such an emotional rebuke on his part. Such an emotional appeal. His thinking, and rightly so, these teachings were so striking at the heart of the promise of God, of what God planned, of what Christ prayed for, and what paid for, and what the Holy Spirit makes real in our life. He'd do anything. He'd throw himself on the altar to stop this kind of Judaizing thinking that has entered into the church. He, the language we're going to go through as we go through the, these six chapters is strong. It's, it, it's personal. He holds nothing back. These concerns of Paul about Jewish legalism and those who teach it are as relevant, please, I, I, you will watch over the weeks ahead as our heads are hung in shame as we fail God in being legalistic. 
I, I tell you today, legalism has a thousand and one nuances and you won't even realize it. Watch how God exposes our hearts. It is not pretty. It's not. So get ready. I want you to know that. The teachings of legalism is still around. There are many examples. Basically what it's done over the last 2,000 years is just reinvent the wheel. It just looks different. You know, if you're speaking in tongues, you're the devil. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. If you're not tithing, you're not going to heaven. If you're not giving, it comes in a thousand and one different ways. Legalism. Trying to control the only thing that Paul ever wanted is to be led by the Spirit. Because when you're led by the Spirit, it leads you to love. And Paul says more than once, and he says it in this letter, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let love, faith work in through love. If you have true faith in Christ, it will express itself in love for God and other people. It's as simple as that. That's it. That's all. If you truly are born again, if you truly have saving faith in Christ, that will be expressed in love. Not commandments, not church attendance, though we like to see you here. It, it, it's not how much you read your Bible, though we want you to read your Bible. It has, it has nothing to do with these things. It's not how much you give, not how much you don't give, but we all should give. It has nothing to do with this. It's faith expressing itself through love to other people. Who is the one who is the most spiritual? The one who loves the most. That's what Paul preached. I want to close with a couple of things here. Do you struggle with guilt? Keep it to yourself. I do counseling on Thursday afternoons. Right? Struggling with guilt, you let me know. Do you struggle with sin? Do you have that sin that just keeps you down? Do you struggle with other people's personalities? Do you struggle with other people's weaknesses? Do you struggle with judging other people? Do you struggle with, does God really love me? Do you struggle with, do I fit in with the in crowd? And if I don't, then how do I get in? <clears throat> this is what the book of Galatians deals with. Very small nuances of legalism that go on every day in all our lives and you don't even realize it. This is what Paul's addressing in this book. I want you to read it and reread it and reread it. Legalism is basically threefold, this book addresses. I will quote some scriptures and I will speak about it. The first legalism is salvation by works. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. And I will read. This is Paul speaking to the Apostle Peter. We ourselves, Peter, are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know, Peter, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So Peter, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified, Peter. So why are we allowing these Judaizers to come in and mess up the Galatians' minds? Basically, that's what he's saying. The first point of contention that legalism has is salvation by works. No one can be saved by the works of Moses anymore. No religious work, no good work can save a person. That's legalism one. Legalism two is sanctification, and that's found in Galatians 3.3. 3. Are you so foolish, Galatians, having begun in the Spirit of God? Are you now trying to perfect your moral life by self-ambition? I paraphrased, but that's what he's saying. Legalism is not just being saved by works, it's, it's changing your own life by your own self-effort. More Christians are trying to do that right now in this room than you would know. It's sublime, it's, it's hidden, you don't realize it. We don't allow the work of grace to be done in our heart through faith and confession and repentance of just talking it out with God and talking it out with another Christian and opening up your heart to someone else and saying, this is what I'm struggling with, please pray for me. Don't make promises to God, just be honest with the Lord, walk in integrity, share with other people, and watch the power of sin broken in your life. Let me tell you something, AA nails it right. You're as sick as your secrets. You keep your sins to yourself and you hide them, you will die. It will fester, it will control your life. Confession is good for the soul. So please understand something. What the legalists were trying to teach is like, don't worry about this Holy Spirit stuff. Here's the Ten Commandments. Do a much better job. And then, there might be the worst of the worst. Part of legalism is social acceptance. I'm going to read three verses of Scripture. Starting in chapter 3, verses 26 to 28. <coughs> For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew, there is neither Greek, there is neither slave, there is neither free, there is neither male, nor neither female. For all human beings are one in Christ Jesus. Chapter 5, verse 6, he says basically the same thing. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Chapter 6, verse 15, basically the same thing. For neither circumcision counts for anything or uncircumcision, but being a new creation in Christ, that's all that counts. You see, legalistic tendencies hit the, hit, try to attack the cross, try to attack morality, and try to cross social lines. Please understand this. Social legalism is a hidden prejudice, and you all human beings struggle with it. People think we're better than other people. The Calvinist thinks they're better than the Arminian, the Arminian thinks they're better than the Calvinist, the Protestant thinks he's better than the Catholic, the Catholic thinks he's better than the Protestant, Pentecostal has all the power, the conservatives have all the wisdom, 
and you know what I mean? And we, we, we beat down each other, and we're brothers in Christ, and sin. we have to understand how this all works, and how to put it together, and let faith express itself through love, not setting up dividing walls, not setting up barriers, but knowing how to embrace one another, care for one another, love one another, be concerned for one another, fellowship one another, when we can, where we can't, and things, and so on and so forth. I can't cover everything on it, alright? But those are the some of the structures here that social legalism takes. And it can go a lot further than that. Social legalism can be, well, if you don't look like me, I'm not going to hang out with you. You don't sound like me. You're not educated. You're not cool enough. You don't like the Giants. You don't like the Jets. You don't like the Mets. You don't like this. You're not Spanish. You eat Indian food. I eat Italian food so on and so forth, and, and there is this social legalism. And that's one of the things we love about going upstairs after every Sunday in fellowship, because we don't want cliques. We don't want some people over here. We want people knowing each other and truly expressing faith through love. So all these issues we've spoken about today it really gets broken down more clearly as we go through these six chapters over. I'm going to try to do it in two months, if not a little less, all right? So we will go start in next week, chapters, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. I will speak on that more in depth and understanding on that, and we'll probably get this done within the six to eight weeks. So let's pray. And Father, we thank you for the word, Lord God. We thank you always, Lord God, that you're always dealing with the human heart, Father. And as long as we're saved, Father God, we can struggle with all sorts of things, Father God. And for the saints that are here today that still might be struggling with guilt or shame, Father God, or pride and prejudice or self-righteousness, Father God, or whatever it might be, Father God, if any of your saints are struggling with moral sins in their life, Father God, unconfessed sins, I pray, Father God, that you begin to set us free, Father God. For it is for freedom that Christ set us free, but we don't use our freedom for liberty, Father God, to sin and to abuse you and to live a godless life, Father God, expecting to be saved, Father God. Should we continue to sin that grace may increase? May it never be, Paul teaches us, Father God, for we have died with Christ, Lord God. So, Father, I just pray, Lord God, that you just touch the series, Father God, and that all of us in our own aptitude and grace and faith that you have given us become students of the book of Galatians and all the freedom that it declares in Christ Jesus God. Show us just how awesome and sufficient the cross of Christ is for our every need in Jesus' name.